Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, we have a guest speaker here to share with us an encouraging message about Jesus. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. Actually, it can be a short, or it can be very short, or it can be very long. Um, we're going to see how far we'll get through it. Like I said, we've been going through the book of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. We're going to finish it next week. But last week, <clears throat> we were in chapter 23 of 2 Samuel. So if you want to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 23, 23 starting with verse 8, we're going to be talking about David's mighty men. And for the youth, this will be a little bit of a, um, a re- repeat, um, because it, uh, it, but it's something that really spoke to me, and I thought it would be great to share this with you guys tonight. Um, the story of David, if you've never uh, read through First and Second Samuel, I'm sure most of you have probably heard who, uh, of David, um, but the story of David is, is, is truly, is a great story. David is one of the most popular characters in the Bible. He is the most popular king uh, of Israel by, um, by a long shot. He's the most popular. Everyone knows the story of David and Goliath. Um, of course, everyone knows the story of David and Bathsheba as well. He was definitely not a perfect man, uh, but he was a great, great man. And he did um, some really great things um, despite his upbringing. Uh, the story of David starts in 1 Samuel chapter 16, where David, as a young boy, was anointed as king of Israel. Now, at that time, Saul was the king of Israel, right? God, the, what, the story goes in 1 Samuel where the, Samuel was actually the first, or I'm sorry, the last judge of Israel. See, before they had a king, they had judges who would God had always been the king of Israel, right? God was the, uh, the head of the children of Israel. Uh, but the children of Israel decided amongst themselves in their infinite wisdom that they said they want to have their own king, just like other nations. So they approached Samuel and said, we want to have a king. And Samuel's like, no, you don't. You don't want to have a king. No, no, no. We want to have a king like other nations. And so Samuel pleaded with God said, you know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do here? And God said, you know what? Don't take it personally, uh, Samuel. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. I'm going to give them a king. So he gave them Saul. Now, Saul started out as a pretty good king, right? All things considered. He, he was prophesying. He was following God. Uh, you know, he did a lot of great things. Um, but there's that saying or that, that term called the cult of personality, right? Or, uh, and he, he basically fell into that trap where he became the, the king, the leader. People looked up to him, and it all went to his head, right? And uh, when they say that absolute power corrupts absolutely, that is what happened with King Saul. He became very corrupt. He stopped following God. As a matter of fact, not only did he not follow, but he went the opposite direction Many things, er, in many ways. And so God had promised, had told Saul that, I was go- that he was going to strip the kingship away from him and give him to somebody else. So Saul was, um, 
he heard that and he, he became very afraid. And so at that time, Samuel went and visited David and anointed him as king. But Saul didn't know who God had in mind. God said, go to the house of Jesse. I will provide the king for you. So that's what Samuel did. He went to Jesse's family. He said, bring out your boys. And so he brought up all his boys, right? And, and he displayed all his, his kids. And so here's a fine young man. Oh, this is another fine young man. And, and so Samuel uh, inquires of God, and God says, it's, not, it's none of these. And, he's, and he said to Jesse, do you have another one? Oh, yeah, I've got this kid, uh, David, but, you know, he's out in the field. He said, bring him in. And that's who God told uh, Samuel to anoint as king. David was never even revered very highly in his own family. And not only that, but Jesse was not from a very profound family. He was the lowest of lowest. As, many, many, as a matter of fact, uh, Saul, when he would speak of David, he would call him the son of Jesse, like it was an insult, right? He was not from an affluent family. And not only that, but he was the lowest of low of the non-affluent family. In God's eyes, oh yeah, that's the perfect guy, right? So David was anointed king at a very early age. Of course, one of the first things that David does is we know the story of David and Goliath, where Israel was going in battle line against the Philistines for 40 days. This giant was pestering and mocking the Israelites. And here is David goes out there with the sling and the stone and, and kills him. And he became instantly famous, almost to the point, well, he became so famous that Saul became very jealous of David because Saul said, oh, great, I can use this guy. Yeah, look, look at this kid that I brought. Yeah, he did this great thing. And these women, when they would go through this town, had this great hit song that they wrote. And it was something along the lines, well, here's Saul who slayed his thousands and David his ten thousands, right? So all of a sudden, Saul was like, wait a minute, this guy is more popular than I am. And, and Saul eventually started to wear on him, and he eventually tried to kill him. A couple times where Saul tried to kill him with the spear. And so uh, David uh, fled at one point. Saul had a son named Jonathan, and Jonathan and David had a great friendship, one of the greatest friendships that you can read about in the Bible. They had, they, they, they had a covenant together with one another where uh, they... they they um, promised that they were going to, uh, you know, since, since, Dave, since uh, Jonathan knew that David was going to be king, uh, Jonathan and David made a covenant with one another, and David promised not to harm any of his family once David became king. And they had a, a great friendship. So David, he fled to Gath, and uh, Gath was not in Israel, and there was a king there named Achish, and he suspected David, that David was up to something. And uh, so David, to get out of that situation, pr pretended to be mad because when he showed up, Achish said, is this not David, the one they sing about, who Saul has slayed his thousands and, and David is 10,000? That song was so popular, even a distant king had heard of it, you know? And so David prepared, uh, pretended to be mad to escape that situation. And then he goes into the cave of Adullam, and this is one of the lowest points in David's life. He is running from a king that wants to kill him for no, that, because he's done nothing wrong. He has literally done nothing wrong. He ha, can't go back to his family, but he musters up 400 men together that, are, um, that align with him. 
And these weren't like the bravest of the brave. They weren't honorable men. These were downtrodden guys. They were people that in debt. They were disenfranchised. They were the deplorables, if you will. Um, so he gathers these guys together, um, these 400 men. And the reason this is playing, the reason I'm talking about this here is, is that David's mighty men, those are mentioned, those David's, David's mighty men are mentioned at the end of David's life because David was an encouragement to those mighty men. So even, even when David was down and out in the cave of Adullam, he was, he was a leader and he was a, not just a physical leader, but was a spiritual leader to these people. And they stuck with him to the end, through the good and the bad. Uh, chapter 23, David saves the city of Keilah. Despite being an outlaw and on the run, David is fleeing for his life with his 400 deplorable men, uh, running from city to city, uh, trying to run from Saul. And uh, yet he finds this city of Israel that's being attacked. And he, uh, the Lord, he inquires of God, God, shall I go deliver the people? And God says, yes, go do that. And I will deliver them into your hands. So he goes and saves the people of Keilah. And then he flees to the wilderness of En Gedi. In verse 24, we see that, or in chapter 24, we see that David has a chance to kill Saul. You guys maybe remember the story. David and his mighty men are hiding in a cave. Okay, you think of 400 men in a cave. It's got to be a pretty big cave. And so Saul's on the hunt for David and his men. He finds this cave and he has to go relieve himself. So he's goes in this cave to take care of business, and there is David, and Saul has no idea that he's there, and David has the chance to kill him, but David will not raise his hand against God's anointed. So instead, he cuts off the corner of his robe, and the next morning when Saul and his men wake up, David stands up in the hills and, and makes this big announcement and says, hey, it's me, David. I had a chance to kill you last night, and I have a piece of your robe to prove it, but I refuse to raise my hand against God's anointed. And at that point, Saul knew what had happened, and he wept, and he apologized, and he repented at that moment, and he stopped following David. But that's not where the story ends. In verse chapter 25, uh, we read about the death of Samuel, and all of Israel mourns for Samuel. And uh, David marries Abigail. And there's a whole story about that. I don't have time to get into that tonight. Um, but David was betrothed to his wife, Michael, who was the daughter of Saul. But uh, Saul gave her to somebody else after they had a parting of the ways. Um, and in chapter 26, we see that Saul was pursuing David once again. So he has another chance to kill Saul. And this time what happened was the men uh, in, in Saul's camp, they were all bedding down for the night, and God sent them into a deep sleep. And so David took one of his uh, brave men with him, and they walked down to where Saul was, and yet he had the chance, and his, the man that was with him, I, his name escapes me, I want to say it was, uh, I didn't write it down, but one of his mighty men that was with him says, just let me drive a spear through his heart, and we could stop this immediately. And David's like, no, I will not raise my hand against God's anointed. And so instead he takes his water jug and the same thing happens the next morning where David and makes the announcement to Saul and all his men that, hey, I had yet another chance to kill you, Saul. I have your water jug, but yet I did not. Again, Saul, 
he, he cries and he begs and he pleads and he stops pursuing David and he concedes once again. But in chapter 27, we see that it takes a turn. David takes a turn. He gets fed up. He gets beat down, right? I'm sure we've all been there in a point in our life where we just, you just can't take it anymore. And he says, why am I even doing this? So he goes and aligns himself with the Philistines. This is at another low point in David's life. He gives up. He goes and joins the enemy. But yet, David still uses this, advantage, this uh, time to take advantage of taking out some of Israel's adversaries. And, he, and uh, as he goes out, and uh, he's basically a marauder, right? And he goes out and he's taking out some of the enemies of Israel. And in chapter 28, we see that Saul, that God, for one, is no longer talking to Saul, right? He has said, I'm not even going to deal with you anymore. But yet Saul sees that there's this great battle is going to be happening between the Philistines and between himself and uh, between Israel. And so in days past, they would consult like David had been doing. They would approach the priests and say, God, shall I pursue this? Or should I pursue them or shall I not? Will I be victorious or not? And God just stopped answering him. So Saul consults a medium. And uh, Saul still wishes to see the future, but instead he tries to talk to somebody from the demonic side. So instead of repenting, because if Saul would have just repented of his sins and God and uh, got right with God, I'm sure God would have began speaking to him again, but he went completely the other direction. And so in chapter 29, we see that the Philistines are, are gathering this great battle against the Israelites. And uh, David was joining in with this group to go attack the Israelites. And the leaders of uh, the Philistines said, we don't want you here because we're afraid of an insurrection because you are, after all, Hebrew. So they, they made them go their way. Um, so David uh, and his men go uh, take up uh, they had left where they were staying in Ziklag. They returned to Ziklag and find out that that city had been, uh, the Amalekites had destroyed the city and taken many of their people, including two of David's wives. And so at that point, again, David is just at a low point. The men are very angry and frustrated with David. And they're talking about stoning him. But again, he doesn't take things into his own hands. He inquires of God. God, give me direction. What shall we do? Shall I go and uh, attack the Amalekites or not. And God promises victory over the Amalekites. So that's what he does. In verse 31, we see that Saul and his sons die in battle. That Saul was wounded by uh, an archer's uh, arrow. And Saul asked his armor bearer to finish him, but he would not because he was afraid of raising his arm against the God's anointed. So Saul ended up falling on his own sword. So that's the end of 1 Samuel. We go into 2 Samuel. Chapter 1, Saul's death reported to David. There was an Amalekite who takes advantage of the situation where he says, wait a minute. Okay, I've heard the story that Saul has been chasing David, and we, I think that David's going to be the next king, and uh, I happen to see Saul dead here. So I bet if I go up and tell David that I killed Saul, I'm going to get a pretty handsome reward, right? I mean, what could be wrong with that plan? So that's exactly what he does. So this Amalekite goes and tells the story. He says, uh, yeah, I killed, I killed King Saul. And he says, oh, really? Go execute this man. So they had him executed because he still felt, despite all that Saul was doing to David, 
he still felt like this is who God has in this position, and I have no right to take that position from anybody. And if anyone kills this man, who uh, that person deserves to be punished, and that's what he did. So he has the man executed. David and Israel, they lament for King Saul, which is hard to believe when you think about for 20 years, Saul had been pursuing David through the wilderness, kicked him out of Israel, uh, could no longer see his family, his friends, or anything, but yet he still honored Saul as king. He still honored him and still lamented for his death. <clears throat> Chapter 2, David is anointed as king of Judah, and Ishbosheth, who is Saul's son, is anointed as king of Israel, and that starts the war between Israel and Judah. And so uh, for a few chapters there, Abner, or the, we see the battle brewing between Israel and Judah. Abner, who was Saul's general, um, is accused by Ishbosheth of taking one of Saul's concubines. So Abner says, enough of this. And we don't know in the story if he actually did or not. It's just reported as that. And so uh, Abner defects over to David. Um, but in the war between Judah and uh, Israel, uh, with Abner, who was Saul's um, general, and um, Joab, who was David's general. There was a fierce battle. Joab's, one of Joab's brother, um, Asahel, who was a, he, he says he was fleet of foot, right? He's very fast. And he was chasing after Abner, and Abner kept warning him, and so Abner ended up killing him with the spear. And so uh, now that Abner was aligned with David, uh, Joab wants to have nothing to do with it, so Joab kills Abner to avenge his brother's death. And yet, again, here David mourns for Abner. He was very angry with Joab because he felt like, hey, you know, he followed Saul, yes. He made my life miserable. But you know what? He was still God's anointed, so he mourned for Abner. Chapter 4, David has, or uh, Saul's two captains, uh, they kill Ishbosheth, who was the king of Israel at the time. And they did not learn their lesson from the Amalekite. They thought the same thing. Well, wait a minute. I'm going to go out and kill. We're, let's, we, they hatched this plan. They're going to kill Ishbosheth, and they're going to report it to David, and David will give them a handsome reward, right? So that's what they do. They kill Ishbosheth in his bed. They cut off his head, and they bring his head to David and say, Look what we did. Isn't this great? And he says, No. No, this is terrible what you did. And not only am I going to have you executed, but he cut off their hands and their feet and he hung them, uh, <laughs> he hung them up for all of Israel to see because David was afraid that people would think that he is a bloodthirsty man because he was not a bloodthirsty man. Yes, David was a man of war, but he was not out to murder the family of Saul. He, he, he had devout respect for Saul and his family because he was Israel. they were Israelites and he was the appointed king. And so he made an example of those two captains. Uh, chapter 5, David is made king of Israel. He reclaims Jerusalem from the Jebusites and David requires of the Lord and he defeats the Philistines. This is an ongoing uh, thing that David's done. David does as he inquires of God. Such great uh, wisdom and some of the great things that he does is inquires of God. You know, I, you know, men, we're fixers, right? And I am, I am the, uh, I, I fall into this trap so many times where 
I rely on myself to fix things, right? Instead of relying on God. David was not uh, a fixer, per se. He would always, well, not always, almost always inquire of God when he needed help, right? I'm the opposite. I will try and fix things until finally I get to a point where I'm like, okay, wait a minute. This is bigger than what I can do. Now I'm going to rely on God. And God's like, okay, now you're going to come to me? I've been trying to get your attention for two weeks, right? Uh, That's kind of my story. So, uh, but David is that great example that he inquires of God all the time. And we have to make, I want to make one thing clear. David didn't have a direct line to God like we do. He had to go through the priests, right? He had to, so when it says David inquired of God, he was, he didn't have the authority to go before God himself. He would have to go to the priest, right? But we as Christians, uh, thanks to what Jesus Christ has done for us, Jesus Christ is our high priest and we have direct access to him, to God through Jesus Christ. And we take that for granted. You know, how many times do we have a prayer meeting here and we can't, we should be able to fill this room up in a prayer meeting. And I know I am just as guilty as not coming to many prayer meetings, but the point is we take it for granted. We have direct access to God anytime we want, but we take it for granted. David and, his, and the people of Israel didn't have that. They had to go to the high priest for that. So David is made king of Israel. Uh, he defeats the Philistines. And he decides that he's going to return the ark to Jerusalem. And he learns another valuable lesson. And that lesson is you don't take the thing, things of God's, the things that belong to God lightly. And so they make this decision. They're going to take the ark of the covenant and they put it and they build this new cart. Let's make this great, great new cart. We can't use the old cart. We want to use the new cart, and let's get a band. Yeah, let's get the worship team out there, and let's just parade this thing, Jerusalem. We're going to have a great time. And so that's what they do. They put the ark, and God's up there going, man, you guys are screwing it up. This is not how it's supposed to be done. And poor Uzzah, they're, they're taking the cart, and they're having a party. They're celebrating, and the cart, the, the, the colts or the donkeys that are pulling it stumble, and the thing starts to tilt, and he, holds onto the ark to keep it from falling, and God strikes him down right there. Party over. <laughs> okay, let's stop and think about this, right? That's what David does. He said, okay, we're obviously doing something wrong here. So he inquires of God. They get the ark to uh, Jerusalem. They do it the right way. And uh, David is dancing, acting a fool, as far as uh, what his wife was saying, that he was acting a fool. And he says, hey, you know what? I'll act like a fool any day of the week because I'm acting a fool for God. So they bring the ark back to Jerusalem. Uh, Chapter 7, God makes a covenant with David. Very important chapter. This is where the promise of the Messiah and David's lineage uh, is made in chapter 7. In chapter 8, we see that David continues to be a successful in successful in battle. He defeats the Philistines. He defeats Moab, Hadadezer, and the Syrians. Again, he was not out there just conquering. These were people that were attacking him, and God was leading them to, to, uh, to go into battle with these different groups of people. David, in chapter 9, we see that he shows kindness to Mephibosheth. Now, Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. Now, if you remember, he had made a um, a covenant with Jonathan that he would not harm any of 
Jonathan's family, and he upholds that. And uh, Mephibosheth, uh, if you read the story, Mephibosheth was lame in his ankles. When he was a young boy, he was fleeing with uh, his mother, um, and she dropped, or actually was with a, a nursemaid, and she accidentally dropped him, and he became lame in his feet, so he couldn't walk. And so David uh, restores him Saul's, fan, or, um, Saul's land and says, anytime you want to eat, you can eat with me at the king's table, right? So he showed great kindness to Mephibosheth. So unlike Saul, David remembers his covenants and he keeps them. Um, chapter 11, we see that it's a turn in the tide. And this is where David starts to relax a little bit. And this is where David gets in trouble. This is with, when David has an affair with Bathsheba. And you guys probably know the story. I'm not going to go into too much detail there. But it's a time where in the springtime when kings were to be going to war. And so he says, you know what? I've got a great team. I've got a great captain. I've got great generals. I'm going to send them out to battle. I'm just going to relax and take this year off, right? And in that time of relaxation, right, uh, that's when uh, the, the Satan gets in there and, and tempts him. You know, like there's that saying that idle hands are the devil's plaything. And David fell right into that trap. So we read about that in chapter 12. God sends Nathan the prophet to speak a parable to David. If you don't know that parable, you can watch the, the I would encourage you to watch the VeggieTales uh, clip because every time I talk about that, I almost sing that song. There once was a man, a very, you know, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to sing, I'm not going to do that to you. But it's such a great story. It's a great, they do a great job. And it's a catchy tune, by the way. So God sends Nathan the prophet, and uh, David is cut, and he understands he's made a mistake, um, but yet David is punished for his sin. So in chapter 13, David's firstborn son, Amnon, dies, and uh, we see from that point on, there's a lot of turmoil and things going on in David's life. But for the sake of time, we're going to get into David and his mighty men, chapter 8, verse uh, or chapter 23, verse 8, which talks about David's mighty men. So in this portion of Scripture, the names of the men are um, out here for us to read about, and uh, I'm not going to go through them, but the point I want to make here is that, as I was saying earlier, that David's mighty men came to him not when he was in the... In, in, he was, not in the, he was not the top dog, if you will, right? This is when he was in the cave of Adullam, one of the lowest points. But yet, what makes a great leader like David is that these people came to him even at his lowest point. And I think what makes a great leader is great leaders aren't people that lead out of strength. What, what, how you can find a great leader is how they lead in times of trial and tragedy, right? That's really where true leadership is shown. And we can see that these mighty men, despite all that David's gone through, all the wars, all the battles, despite that they came to him uh, in debt, disenfranchised, frustrated, nowhere else to go, and they came to David, and David inspired them. He inspired greatness in them. He inspired them to do great things, and they stuck with him all the way through the end. And part of that that I wanted to share with you, one of the reasons why he was so... Um, effective at leading 
these mighty men is that there are two psalms that David wrote while he was in the cave of Adullam. And the first one is Psalm 34. So I'm going to read that. A psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech who drove him away and he departed. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make, bo- make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They took to him, or they looked to him and were radiant. Their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want in those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate righteousness shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. And Psalm 57 reads this. To the chief musician set to do not destroy a Mitchum of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven to save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions. I lie among the the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongues a sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me. Into the midst of it they themselves have fallen. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and praise. Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. For your mercy reaches into the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all all the earth. Now, does that, do those psalms sound like a man who was destitute in the lowest times of his life? No. 
And the reason why is because he believes that God is his Savior. He knows that God is there for him. He knows, he believes in God's promises, that if God is for him, who could be against him? So ladies and gentlemen, I, I know we've done a brief time about David and his life, but it is truly a remarkable story. Yes, he made many mistakes, and he paid for those mistakes. But yet, when the chips were down and times were tough, he did not rely on himself. He turned to God, and he wrote some of the most precious psalms out there because of his faith and his belief in God. It wasn't like, you know, he's any different than you or I. If anything, we have a much easier time. We have have it way easier than David ever did because we have direct access to God. He had to go to the high priest in order to reach to reach God. We have that direct access. But yet even when he's down and out and in the destitute times, uh, God was faithful to him. And in doing that, we can read about those men, those faithful men that stayed with him, those mighty men, because he encouraged them, he led them. And if you read about their stories, you know, killing 300 men at one time, or just some of the things that they've done, they never gave up on David because David was a great leader. Despite his faults, he was a great leader. And the reason he was a great leader is because he was led by God himself. He put all of his trust into God, and um, it has paid off for him. And we can, we can glory in the fact that we can read those stories, and it can speak to our hearts, and it can teach us that, you know what? We're not that great. We don't have this all figured out, but I know who is great, and I do know who has all figured out, and it's God, and he is available to us 24-7. It doesn't matter what problem we have, what we're facing in our life, how downtrodden we are, it, our, our world could be falling apart. You know what? God's got it. He's got it all figured out. And his promises, he promises that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Let's pray this evening. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that we can spend some time here tonight to study about some of these faithful men. We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's word. And our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time. And remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.